Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. That's not what I've been doing. And so, but I saw you competed that one in, it was it Dubai or something like that, or UAE or something. Yeah, in Abu Dhabi. I've been Abu there. Dhabi, a few that's times. right. Oh, cool. Awesome. They have some great tournaments. Awesome. Well, let's, let's, uh, Sort of, sort of introduce you because so it's it's Sarah. Did you pronounce your last name Thackeray? Is that how you said? Yeah. And you're up from you're up in Canada, and you are a, if I'm not mistaken, a world champion jujitsu athlete. Yeah. Um. I last season I was able to win every tournament I entered, actually becoming the first Canadian to do so. So that was uh, the Nogi Worlds, the Europeans, the Pan Americans. World Championships and the UAE World Pro. So it was a really good year. We've... That sounds pretty impressive. I, I don't know. <laughs> My dog we, got, we got an extra visitor to this this episode. What you talk like while I tell the dog? Cool. Yeah. No. No, Sarah. That's uh, that's super fascinating. I think like a lot of our listeners will be familiar with what jujitsu is, but probably as I'm guessing is the most cases can't fully appreciate the time spent to get to the level that you're at. You want to just tell us a little bit about kind of jujitsu, how you got started with it and kind of how that's gotten you to a position where last year you were able to do what you did and go undefeated. Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically what jujitsu is, is it's a martial art. Um, it doesn't involve any striking, it's grappling. So if you watch like the UFC or mixed martial arts, it's what they're doing on the ground. So it's um, like points, positions, and submissions. Um, and how I got into jujitsu, it's kind of an interesting story. When I was a teenager, I used to do horseback riding at a pretty high level, like horse jumping. And then I stopped doing that when I was in university. It just got really expensive. Um, and I still wanted to be an athlete and do something. I just didn't know what. And then one day I just got off the bus and it was right in front of a jujitsu gym. I kind of wandered in, tried a class and I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. I was kind of confused, but they said, oh, if you sign up for a whole year on the first day, there's this big discount. So I kind of <laughs> signed up not knowing what I was getting into and haven't looked back. I guess it's taken over. That's, that's really interesting because I think when most people hear like world jiu-jitsu champion, undefeated record, they're thinking, oh, well, this person must have started when they were like four years old. And, uh, but you, you waited until college. So how long have you been, been doing jiu-jitsu? I've been training, um, I guess, five and a half years now. So not long, but I've been doing it full time for the better part of three, three and a half years. So I train multiple times a day, plus strength training, and um, usually two jujitsu sessions a day. Plus, I teach and travel for that, so it's pretty all-consuming at this point. So, Sarah, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting, interesting stuff. Um, and you know, we've we've certainly had our share of world champions and world record holders and people pushing the boundaries on this show. So, we you know we call ourselves human performance outliers, and Zach is a world champion runner and, and and so we've had some really neat stuff on here and and talk about multiple times a day training you know um and one of the reasons you're on is because you've got kind of a unique dietary strategy for this which we'll talk about in a second but you know tell us a little bit about a day in the life of you know you know with training what does it involve how much intensity is there is it, is it going hard is it just kind of technique and, and relaxed or, you know, tell how, how hard you can train or do train on a day-to-day -day basis. What a typical day looks like is um, in the morning, I'll try and get my weightlifting done. Um, so that's about an hour, maybe an hour and a half if I'm working out with someone else and we're taking more breaks of 
um, just weightlifting in the gym, not necessarily like Olympic weightlifting or anything. Um, I try and do just the major lifts, uh, squats, bench press, deadlifts, plus some other exercises. And then the first training of the day for jujitsu is at noon and it's an hour. It's half an hour of technique and drilling the techniques and then half an hour of sparring, which is basically like um, you're doing like the live grappling with an opponent and you're going at it pretty hard. And then I try and rest in the afternoon before the, the night training. The night training is usually more intense. It's an hour and a half and then it's split um, half and half technique and sparring again. So 45 minutes, 45 minutes. And that ends at about 9.30 p.m. and then go to bed and do it all over again the next day. <laughs> so you're basically, you're basically doing uh, three and a half to four and a half hours a day, sounds like, of training. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's on a tougher day. Um, sometimes I just do one jujitsu session and one weightlifting session, but um, usually it's two a day. What about what about conditioning outside of, of that? Do you do any specific conditioning besides the weightlifting, or is it is it a grappling give you all you need for you know? Because you see a lot of these uh, like UFC guys when they come when they get ready for fights, uh, they're doing you know they're doing a lot of conditioning work you know whether it's running concept two rowing uh, things like that. Is that is that part of your training plan, or do you get everything you need condition wise just with the with the grappling itself? I don't do any cardio outside of jujitsu. I find like the, um, the sparring in the sessions every day is a ton of cardio. Um, so that's enough for me, but I guess if I was competing and I found that that was lacking for me, I would add it in. But right now it's just the weightlifting. How long, uh, you know, again, I, and I, I, maybe one day I'll get out there and my, my son does jujitsu. He's, he's six years old learning how to do that. And one day I, it looks like fun to me. One day I'll get out there and do that if I ever get the time. But, um, what is a, when you, when we talk about a competition, how long is that, you know, as it rounds, you know, I'm, I'm so used to seeing everything through the, through the eyes of the UFC where it's, you know, these whatever, uh, five minute rounds, you know, times three to five, depending on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the event. But what is, what is it, what does your jujitsu match look like as far as timing wise and stuff like that? Jiu-jitsu matches, um, they're set up very differently, obviously, than MMA. It's always a single elimination bracket. So how that works is um, I have seven-minute matches, and if you lose one, you're out, basically. So say your weight class has 32 people in it. So 32 people will do the first match, and then that's down to 16 because each match has a winner and a loser. And then down to eight, to four, to two, to one. So it depends how many people are in the division, how many fights you'll have to do. But that's how they're all formatted. It's always single elimination. So, so it's basically one seven-minute, you know, and, and you went on points or you submit somebody or, you know, I don't guess you knock people out too much. And you did too. It's mostly no, it doesn't happen right? too much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so over the five years um, – you've been doing this where have you trained with a particular coach or do you have a, I mean, is there, is there, again, I don't know much about it to say, you know, what camp do you train out of or where, where do you do your training at? I do my training out of a gym called Alliance. Um, the headquarters for that gym are in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which I've visited a few times, but I'm up at the gym in Vancouver. It's basically got um, gyms all over the world. It's one of the bigger teams. After I did that one year that I was talking about um, that I signed up for, um, then I switched to the Alliance Gym because uh, everyone in the jiu-jitsu community in Vancouver said, oh, this is the place to train if you want to get serious about it. So that's where I've been since that first year. And I've had a great experience. One of the top coaches from the gym in Sao Paulo uh, immigrated up to Canada a year and a half ago to become our head coach. So since then, the level's been even higher. It's really high quality training. So, so Sarah, when you, you spent a year in kind of that first gym you saw, and then you transferred to the kind of higher, higher end gym, you know, my first thought of that is like, if I went into any jujitsu gym and spent a year there, I probably woefully prepared for any high level gym. <laughs> so you, you clearly caught on quickly. Was that, is, is that common in jujitsu or did you kind of just accelerate just because, 
you really enjoyed it and spent more time doing it? Or did you kind of just catch on to things a little quicker maybe than what some people did? I wouldn't say that I was like particularly talented at it. I just, I guess being an athlete when I was younger, I just kind of, there are things that kind of transcend into other sports, even if they're completely different. So I just knew that I wanted to do something with like a lot of passion. Many people start jujitsu and they just do it recreationally and it's a really nice hobby for them. But I knew that I wanted to compete after my first time competing. I just knew this was something I wanted to take further. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, there are a lot of different forms of martial arts there. And, and obviously there's proponents of every camp. I mean, there's people like, you know, Jocko Wilnick. And, and I know when I've talked to Joe Rogan, they're, they're big advocates of jujitsu uh, as maybe one of the more effective martial arts. And can you talk a little bit about the difference between that and some of the other types of martial arts? And I, I think one of my understandings about jujitsu is it, it often gives a competitor, you know, the, the, the size advantage doesn't make as much, much sense. You know, back in the day when they had the early UFC fights, they had guys like, you know, the Gracie guys going up against these big giant people and they were able to, you know, win based on, you know, the, the, the skill they had, you know, so can, can you contrast jujitsu to some of the other martial arts disciplines that other people might know about? For sure. Um, so there's aspects of other martial arts in jujitsu as well. We do some cross training. It's um, got parts of wrestling in it. When you start the match, you always start standing in tournaments. So having like, for example, some wrestling background and knowledge or judo, which is uh, throws, is very helpful. Um, like I said before, there's no striking in jujitsu. So I can't really compare it much to kickboxing or Muay Thai. There's not a ton of relevance with that. Um, other than that, I think, what else? Yeah, definitely what you were saying about the size advantage. Um, it is, in a sense, um, like if you were to go up against someone who didn't really know what they were doing, and you were a smaller skilled jujitsu practitioner, you would probably be able to submit them. Um, but then again, like we do compete in weight classes and size and strength is a factor. So um, definitely if two people were at the same skill level and one was larger, they would have that advantage. But it is, I guess, a martial art where a smaller person can be successful. Yeah, can you can you talk to us a bit about just kind of like the strategy behind it? Because my thought is that like with with a sport like that, when you get to the level that you're at, you're not just thinking, you're not just responding at that point or deciding, oh, I'm going to do this move now. You're probably thinking like, well, if I do this, then they're going to do this, then I'll do this, and you're you're thinking multiple steps ahead. So how does the kind of how does your mind work during during a high level jujitsu match like that? During the matches, um, when you're doing jujitsu, there's usually two main positions you can be in. You can be the top player or the bottom player, which is called the guard player. Um, and there's different, I guess, points you can get from different positions. So when you're on the bottom, you can submit the opponent from a lot of different places, or you can sweep them, which means you're on the bottom and you come up on top and you get points for that. And as the top player, you have to basically pass the legs of the opponent. Um, it's called a guard pass. So there are different strategies depending on if you like playing on top or on bottom. My strategy is usually um, to start by pulling guard. So trying to establish the bottom position and working from there. But I've tried to get pretty well-rounded so that depending on who I'm fighting or what I'm doing, I can have options from everywhere. Do you, do you have a lot of opportunity to kind of do like watch video on your components? I would imagine with some of those tournaments where you have like a 32 single elimination, you don't necessarily know who your opponent's going to be. And therefore it's just a little more kind of uh, impromptu and how you strategize. So is there a, like how, how different does that range from tournament to tournament in terms of just planning for your opponent? Um, you end up fighting quite a few of the same people over and over again, especially on like the, world circuit you see the same faces and um like because you're fighting in your weight class it's pretty common to compete against the same people more than once so i know like the top people in my division who's typically going to be a tough match um and then for local tournaments you know people even more i guess i try not to 
search up my opponents too much and just focus on myself and my game plan because it kind of gets me in a weird headspace if I spend too much time focusing on them. Um, but definitely, like, about three or four days before the tournament, they release the bracket so you see who you're going to fight and when. So I guess you could search it up if you'd like to, and some people like to, but I try not to look too much. It gets me more nervous. Sure, and you want to be able to address that mental component of it if that kind of puts you where you need to be, then it seems like that's the way to go. Yeah, I just like to keep the focus on myself instead of on them. Sir, how, how often do you compete? How, what's a typical season look like? I mean, how many competitions a year would you typically do? I compete typically once or twice a month. The main season is from January to June, but it goes year-round. Um, I'm doing a tournament in two weeks, hopefully, and then – I was supposed to go back to Abu Dhabi to do the big tournament at the end of the year, but they changed. Um, they were going to have um, a free flight and hotel for me, but then they decided to have less free trips going now. So I built up the ranking points to get that top spot to go. And unfortunately they changed what they were doing pretty recently. So um, I have to, I guess, look and see what else there is. It's, Helpful to compete as often as you can because you feel more comfortable competing the more you do it. So it's really advantageous to try and keep competing regularly. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about diet because you you one of the reasons I found out about you is because people are saying you know you're doing this carnivore diet, which some people think doesn't make sense. But talk to me and and I and I and I do because I do it as well. But talk to me about how that transition went. What 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 drove you there? What, what made you decide to do that? And then how is it, has your body responded to it, both with regard to health and, and then your ability to perf perform at this high level and world championship level, you know, training multiple times a day and so on and so forth. So talk us about what made that decision and, and, and go from there. Yeah. Um, so in about, I guess it was June, I was away at a tournament in Las Vegas and I got really sick. I think I got food poisoning. I'm not really sure. And um, after that, I started to feel better, but I had weird digestive problems that kept lingering on. I was very, very bloated all the time. I was completely fatigued. I just wasn't sure what was going on. And it was affecting so many parts of my life. Like by the end of the day, I looked like I was like eight months pregnant. It was ridiculous. I didn't really know what was happening. I talked to my doctor, um, my doctor just kind of wrote me off. He said, oh, there's people who are way sicker than you. You're fine. This is just aesthetic. Um, he did some blood work. Everything came back normal. I went to a naturopath. They weren't really sure what was going on. I got treated with antibiotics for SIBO. That She thought I had a bacterial overgrowth in my intestine. Um, that didn't really help. So I was researching online. I was trying to take things into my own hands at this point. And I went on a keto diet because a lot of people on the internet said, oh, this can help with um, digestive problems. All of the fat um, in the diet, I guess, just helps regulate things. So I went on a keto diet in the summer. And then at first I was feeling a lot better. The bloating went down. I had more energy. But um, after a little while, the bloating came back. It all returned after about a month. And... I did more research online and people were saying, oh, I had like mystery digestive problems that no one could figure out and a carnivore diet really helped me. So I thought at this point, I'll try anything. And I tried a carnivore diet and I've had really good success ever since. So I guess it's a bit unusual. I didn't do this for like a performance strategy. It was more for digestive problems, but I've been feeling really good. I haven't lost any strength. I don't feel like my cardio is any different. Um, my body composition is still good. And yeah, I'm actually feeling awesome. So I've kept going with it. Sarah, what was it? What was a diet that you're eating back before, before you went keto? What, what, what kind of diet were you eating that, that, that was causing these digestive issues or, or potentially was causing these digestive issues? Before I was eating, I guess what most people would consider to be a really clean, healthy diet. So I was having lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, um, smoothies, protein powders, um, 
like looking back, I guess it was a ton of sugar um, with all the fruit, but I was having a lot of like steamed vegetables, fish, chicken, just what you would kind of categorize as your typical clean eating American diet. Um, obviously like making weight for all the tournaments was a factor. So I was trying to do like intermittent fasting and counting my calories and trying to do all these things to stay within my weight range. And it was, I wasn't feeling great, but I can't say if that was because of the diet or because I was just training really hard at the time. Um, but I guess training now I'm doing just as much work and feeling better. So maybe I could attribute it to the diet change a bit. What, was, what, weight, what weight class do you have to hit just out of curiosity? The weight class I fight in is called light featherweight. So that is under 118 pounds with my kimono and all my gear on, which is about four pounds. Um, so I try and maintain about 114 pounds close to the tournament season. I don't like to do big weight cuts before the tournaments because unlike um, MMA where you weigh in the night before, jujitsu you weigh in 10 minutes before your first match. So if you've cut all this weight and you're feeling crappy, that's how you have to fight. Have you found that making weight on a, on a carnivore style diet is a little easier for you to do it that way than, than other ways? Absolutely. I'm eating more than ever. And I guess without the carbs holding water to your muscles, I weigh less than ever and feel great. So it's really been advantageous for me. Can you walk us through a, a you know, a typical day's eating for you or, or, you know, maybe it varies on competition days and training days, but can you kind of give us an idea what you're eating day to day to fuel your activities? Yeah, for sure. So I try and eat um, like quite a variety of different meats just to keep things interesting. I usually for breakfast have bacon or a ribeye. Um, sometimes I'll have like ground beef. I'll make some hamburger patties. Um, today I had bacon and then I cooked like a veal liver in the bacon grease and had that as well because I was still hungry. But um, so I try and have organ meats about once a week as well, even though they're not my favorite. I also, um, I eat lamb. Like I said, I eat a lot of ribeyes. They're my favorite. I like fattier cuts of meat, um, pork belly, what else? I try and have fish as well, usually salmon. Um, if I go out to eat, I'll get sashimi at a Japanese restaurant. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else. I've tried some more unique meats like kangaroo and ostrich, um, bison, but I those are pretty lean. I really like um, fattier meats. I feel like it gives me more energy. I'm not eating any eggs or butter or cheese right now. I'm lactose intolerant. And then um, I was, I put back eggs back into my diet and I found I was getting a little bit bloated again. So I took them back out, which is kind of too bad. I really like eating eggs, but hopefully I can get it figured out and incorporate them back in eventually. Right now it's just meat and I do have black coffee as well. That's the only... I guess, non-strict carnivore thing. So uh, you don't, uh, like Zach will often, when he does long races, he'll, he'll use a little carbohydrate to help fuel him, but you're not finding that necessary part of the strategy prior to matches or anything like that. You're not taking some glucose or dextrose or any, any of those things to, to fuel your matches? No, um, usually when I go to a tournament, I will take some snacks with me because you need to stay fueled right up into the match. And um, I'll have like, meat bars or jerky or something that doesn't need to be refrigerated. But I definitely, like, I feel like I have good energy and good stamina without adding anything in. I've had a lot of people contact me. I guess they saw my story on Facebook and they're like, oh, I'm also an athlete, but I'm scared that I'm not going to have the energy if I go completely carnivore. What do you think? What do you think? And I guess I can only speak to how I feel. Like, I feel fine, but I'm sure it's definitely an issue for a lot of people, like feeling kind of flat before their competition if they don't have any carbs. Yeah, you know, the, the thing I've always found interesting, I had kind of a, a, a little bit of a primitive working theory that it has more to do with the time spent between the exercise sessions than it does necessarily the intensity of the session. But you kind of are like the, you, you, you kind of disprove that a little bit because um, in your case, 
you kind of have like this perfect combination of kind of how Sean works out where he works out really hard for a short period of time. And then someone like me who works out very for a very long period of time, but not at a very high intensity relative to Sean. Uh, but you're kind of doing a little bit of intensity, a little bit of cardio, and then multiple times a day. So your window of time between sessions are probably very similar to mine um, with a slightly different focus on, on the type of activity, obviously. Uh, so you didn't notice any, any kind of energy dips with the carnivore diet. So can I ask, did you, when did you start the keto diet? Like how long into that, uh, I guess, was it five or six year journey into where you are today with jujitsu? Did you kind of abandon your kind of clean and standard American diet for the keto diet? And how long were you doing that before you went to carnivore? So I only started this, um, in the summer. So it's been just under a year now, actually. Um, like I said, it was after I got sick and that's what fueled me to change my diet. So I was on a keto diet for about, I'd say a month and a half or two months before switching completely to carnivore. And then since then I haven't looked back. Did you see uh, a difference between keto and carnivore with regard to your performance? I know some people comment they go on a ketogenic diet and they do feel flat in the gym. Uh, and I, and you know, my thought is probably particularly with glycolytic based activities, you're seeing a little improvement in, in your capacity for gluconeogenesis and probably refilling your glycogen stores better, particularly overnight, as we had Don Lehman on the show, Professor Don Lehman talking about that very same phenomenon, particularly in animal studies. So did you see it? Was there a difference in your performance or is it just bloating difference between keto and carnivore? I definitely feel like I have more energy now on the carnivore diet. I really liked being on a keto diet because I liked eating fattier foods. I loved um, some of the keto baking and the nut butters, but they really inflamed my gut. Um, so I, like I said, that's why I transitioned over to carnivore, but I feel like I have so much more energy on carnivore. I feel really good, satisfied, and it's definitely an improvement over keto in terms of energy for me. Do you have any other athletes in, in that you or people that you train with in the gym or people that, that are aware that you're you know winning world championships as a, as a carnivore? Is anybody asking you about that stuff or anybody else adopting that or what's been your experience with that? How's that been received in the people that are around you? I've told some people about it, um, especially if they ask. But to be honest, I don't go around telling people about it kind of on my own because. I've gotten kind of some bad feedback. People like you could tell people you eat pizza and pop tarts every meal of the day and they won't blink an eye, but you tell them all you're eating is meat and they want to give you all these opinions. Oh, that's so bad for you. You're going to get scurvy, all that stuff you hear um, that everyone says. So I kind of just keep to myself about it. If someone wants to know, I'm glad to tell them about it, but basically I don't want to deal with, other people's opinions when they're uneducated about it. Like I know it works for me and it's amazing. So I guess just share that with people who feel the same way. Yeah. We, we joke around about that. Sometimes we say like, cause Sean will have pictures of just like two or three ribeyes on a plate and that'll be his meal and, and he'll get grief for that. But if he had put like two little broccoli sprouts next to it, no one would, <laughs> no one would exactly. even. <laughs> so, I mean, it just highlights that like for whatever reason we've, looked at some foods as kind of uh, on a pedestal where there's just, you, there's nothing wrong with them. These are healthy foods, fruits and vegetables. They should be fully available. You know, like no one should have to regulate them, but you know, there's, there's negative side effects to that stuff too. And, you know, we've had a lot of guests on the show now to talk about some of those things and especially with, with vegetables where they, they have this natural defense and in some cases can really disrupt the digestive tract, which is sounds like what was happening with you to some degree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I guess society has this picture of what healthy eating should look like and social media has really perpetuated it. Um, and then when people just see or hear that you're only eating meat, they just really want to give their opinion and tell you, oh, this is dangerous. This is terrible. You should go back to whatever you were doing before. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just tired of dealing with it. <laughs> This episode of Human Performance Outliers is brought to you by fellow carnivore and Legal Shield associate Doug Lee. Through Legal Shield's smartphone app, Doug is helping to level the playing field by bringing affordable legal services to everyone right on their phones. For just $24.95 a month, 
families have instant access to a local team of lawyers working on your behalf, providing legal advice, traffic violation assistance, will preparation, IRS audit assistance, family and domestic services, and contract and document review, just to name a few. Doug also offers ID Shield, the most comprehensive identity protection and recovery service in all of North America. Members get access to a licensed private investigator to help resolve any identity theft issues that arise. Last year alone, there were more than 780 reported data breaches compromising the identities of nearly 170 million people. Responding quickly to ID theft is the best way to prevent serious complications and protect your good name. Doug offers business plans and gun owners plans as well. So head over to DougLee.info, that's D-O-U-G-L-E-E.info, to get the app and learn more about how Legal Shield has been protecting families for over 40 years. So, did, what was your? So, this year you you won a number of competitions and and world championships. I know you said you won the European and all this. Did was there a market improvement in your in your in your success rate this year compared to years past as far as switching diets? Um, I'd say I was pretty successful in the past, but like, like I said, like the suffering with the weight cuts leading up to the tournaments has been so much less and I'm seeing improvements in the gym as well. Like I'm just maintaining my strength and even lifting heavier now that I'm on a carnivore diet. And just from day to day, I have more energy for my, um, my workouts and my jujitsu training because I'm not always restricting myself. I'm able to eat a lot of protein, a lot of food. I don't go hungry for a minute of any day. So overall things are just so much better for me. How much would you estimate you eat in a day? Just because I mean, at 114, you're obviously not a giant person here. You know, most people consider you pretty, pretty relatively small size. How much are you eating a day to maintain that? you said you're eating more than you used to. So give us an idea. Like, can you put us in a quantity on that? I'd say um, it's hard to tell in terms of like the weight of the food, because obviously some things weigh more than others. Like you have a big ribeye, it's heavy or bacon is pretty light, but it's, I would say I'm eating around 2000 calories a day, maybe more on the odd occasion, but that's probably the average. And, th- and that's a bit more than you used to eat, you said. Yeah, I used to eat a lot less. Um, I would worry about like how much fat was in anything, how much salt. Um, and then I guess without realizing it, I was eating a ton of sugar because I thought, oh, smoothies are healthy, they're light. Um, I'm just going to have like a protein smoothie. So I'd mix up like berries, protein powder, all this stuff. And I would wonder why I was feeling so shitty and weak. And I'd just keep going with that. I wasn't really, I guess, knowledgeable about what I needed for my body. So you, I mean, before you weren't exactly tracking calories, so we don't know exactly how many calories you're eating, but you're saying is you're, you're finding you're, you're satisfied more, you're eating to satiety and you're not, always hungry, which I think is also a very nice thing, not being hungry all the time. For sure. Yeah. You get into kind of a negative mental space when you're trying to restrict your food so much. I would be starving after eating. I'd say, okay, you have to hold out another four hours before you eat because otherwise you're going to be overweight for your next tournament. And it was just like kind of psychologically damaging to yourself. Um, And now I don't worry about any of that. I just eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full and I've been able to maintain my weight. I feel awesome. So it's more than I could ask for. Do you, do you do anything with regard to electrolytes? I know some, some people, uh, particularly with regard to athletes, they, they, they find that uh, supplementing electrolytes can help them uh, with performance. Is that something you mess with? I don't really take any supplements, uh, no electrolytes, but um, obviously when I have like my meat or my steak, whatever, I put Himalayan salt on it. So I think I'm getting good electrolytes with that. And um, when I first transitioned over to keto and then to carnivore, I was getting like some muscle cramps kind of in the middle of the night, but that went away. But I guess if that had continued, it's something I would have looked into, but I haven't had any issues without supplementing electrolytes. Do you, uh, do you, when, when you're training, I'm curious, cause like with a sport that's weight sensitive, like yours, 
is there like an off season where you intentionally let yourself gain a few pounds and then you cut back down? Or do you find like, especially with like the carnivore diet that you just kind of end up being where you need to be all the time? With the carnivore diet, I've stayed where I need to be all the time, which I'm so fortunate for. Um, some people after the world championships, which are the beginning of June, they take a few months off, even though there are tournaments that go all through the summer and early fall. Um, so it depends on the individual athlete, but things really just go year round. So you can't take a huge amount of time to really bulk up or anything like that in jujitsu. Yeah, you said, I mean, bloating was an issue and I assume that's pretty much gone now when you're on a, on a meat, meat only diet. Is that true? Yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's improved quite a bit. I still have some days where it comes back a little bit, but things are so much better than they were before. Um, it was so severe that it was affecting so many aspects of my life. You wake up in the morning with this huge belly and it just gets worse throughout the day. You don't feel like you want to go work out when you're doing jujitsu. You don't feel like you can move as well. Um, I didn't want to go out with my friends because I was feeling so bad about myself, I guess. I don't know if it was just uh, like, um, it wasn't just an aesthetic thing. It was kind of just how I was feeling as well. It was, yeah, not a good time of my life. I'm glad things have improved. Do you have any other uh, um, uh, martial artists that have contacted you about this? I know you said you mentioned a little bit. Is there anybody out there that's seen your Facebook posts or knows what you're doing that's been contacting you from the martial arts community about diet? Yeah, after um, I posted about my story in the Facebook group, I've had lots of people message me, um, not necessarily just martial artists, but a few. Um, I've had like rock climbers, runners, swimmers, and they said, oh, I've seen your story. Um, can you give me some tips? Like, I'd like to do that too. I've been going through something similar, so I've been trying to help them out as best as I can and just tell them what's worked for me, what ha hasn't, and answered their questions. I've got a lot of feedback. It's been good to hear that I'm not alone in this. Yeah. It's, you know, it's always interesting to me too, with like who kind of reaches out about that stuff because uh, you know, the first people that usually come to you are the people who are really, really active because you know, if you're doing something you're doing, you've got this very good understanding of kind of what is optimal for you. Like when, when you're feeling great versus when you're feeling, you know, not quite great is very detectable for someone who trains as hard as you do. But then a lot of people who are just kind of going about their day, you know, they can kind of just get away with not being, not being finely tuned or if they get a little bloated, it's not, you know, they just sit at a desk and type at a computer as opposed to go out and trying to, trying to wrestle or do jujitsu with a, with a, with bloating is, is a no go. So you kind of try to find those answers right away. And then those same type of folks tend to be the ones that are also more, more, more in tune with that or willing to reach out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like if I, I guess if I was just working a nine to five job sitting at a desk and I had um, this severe bloating, it would be definitely unfortunate and I'd be upset about it, but it wouldn't affect me as much. And then if I'm trying to train jujitsu and I feel like I have like a beach ball strapped to my stomach, it's something that I need to get to the bottom of like more urgently because it's affecting like my livelihood, my sport. And like I was feeling, like I said, it wasn't just the bloating. I was feeling so fatigued all the time as well. I knew something wasn't right with me. So I really had to just be my own advocate and try and figure it out. Did you, because you mentioned that at least once a week, you'll include some organ meats in your diet. And I think uh, that's an interesting topic, I think, within the, the carnivore meat-based movement is whether you need to do that or don't. And it seems to be kind of split down the middle where some people say it's an absolute must and others say it's, it's not necessary. Did you just start including those because you thought it was, it was necessary or did you do some research and then find out that it, that convinced you that that's a, you know, a, a good thing to kind of keep in the diet? I did some research and obviously like the nutritional profile of organ meats is so unique um, and so beneficial. So I tried to add it in. I don't know if it's as like black and white as, Oh, you need this or not, but I feel good and the variety really helps me um, to not get tired of meat. Um, I think if I was eating just the same thing every meal, it wouldn't work for me. So the variety definitely helps even though I don't find organ meat the tastiest. And um, I feel like I have great energy after I eat 
um, like chicken liver or beef liver, for example. So I guess I'll just keep going with what works for me. If, if you that. cook in bacon grease, it, it helps a little bit too. <laughs> Definitely. I've been trying to figure out a way to cook liver that tastes pretty good without having any non-zero carb things in it. Um, my mom makes a great kind of like chicken liver, I guess, cooked with like bacon, but she also adds parsley and a bunch of um, herbs and vegetables. So that's kind of out for me. So I thought, you know what, let me just try the bacon grease, see how that is and pan fry it. And it was pretty good. I have to say better than other things I've tried. <laughs> how does, uh, have you, cause you had this sort of potential diagnosis of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and you, you were treated with antibiotics. Have you been back to the person who treated you for that? I guess was, was it an, was it an MD or a naturopath or I'm not sure who, who treated you. Have you seen the doctor since that time, since going carnivore and have you discussed that at all? Um, I saw her. So I guess when I first went to see her, she, based on my symptoms, she thought, oh, you definitely have SIBO, but let's do the breath test for it. So I did the breath test and the results came back um, like inconclusive. It was kind of borderline. So I did like the herbal treatments for SIBO. That was a two week um, regimen of the herbal treatments and I wasn't feeling any better. So she said, oh, like sometimes it doesn't work the first time let's try maybe the antibiotic treatments. So I did that afterwards. It was um, two antibiotics, rifaximin and neomycin. And that was another two weeks of that. And I had no improvement. And I was pretty frustrated at this point. It cost a lot of money and I wasn't seeing any results. I thought maybe I don't have SIBO. This could be something else. But she was really sure I had SIBO. And at this point, I would started my keto diet and the naturopath was actually quite against it. And she said, let's just try all this treatment again. And at that, that point I realized, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. Like I might need to see another naturopath, but this person isn't working for me and this treatment plan isn't. So I didn't really see her after doing the antibiotics. That was the end of that. How did, how you said you met your mom cooking up liver with, with some different herbs and spices. Do your parents, are your, do they know what you're eating right now? Do they have any concerns? Do they have any, any input into, into your diet right now? When I first told them about it, they weren't very happy about it. Um, they kind of have the same mindset that you should eat like a balanced diet, whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. Um, but for some reason, if I kind of just call it an elimination diet, they're okay with that. <laughs> so I just kind of, I guess, tiptoe around the terminology just to not have to deal with any negative comments from them. And then it's fine. It's kind of funny how that is, I guess. Um, but they're definitely happy to see me feeling better. And so I guess that works out pretty well. We often say results speak for themselves on the show and, and you're clearly a case of that. So it's, there's only so much complaining one can do when, it, when, it's, uh, when you're thriving versus suffering. Exactly. Do you, um, you know, I guess in jujitsu, I mean, there's obviously a lot of strategy and there's, there's, there's isometric holes where you're kind of holding your position and, you know, planning your next move. And then you have, you have to, you have to, I assume there has to be bursts of speed, you know, where you have to, you know, move quickly to change position to, to, to take advantage of any mistake your opponent makes. Have you found any lack of, of um, ability to accelerate or make these aggressive movements? Not at all no change um, negatively. I feel like my jujitsu has been the same. And then if anything, because of the strength training and the change in diet, I feel stronger in those positions where I have to kind of hold on and put a lot of pressure, but I don't feel any loss of explosivity in the times when I have to move quickly. How many meals a day are you eating and how do you pattern your meals around training sessions? Um, I usually have, I guess, three meals a day. I don't try and restrict the time I eat, but I eat probably breakfast around 9, 9.30. And then I have, if I feel like I need a snack before training, I will have something small. And then I do my noon training. I get back from that around two o'clock. I have lunch after that. I try and have a bit of a bigger lunch um, so that I can eat something lighter before the night training. That starts at 7 or 8 p.m. So I'll usually have my last meal, I guess, around 6.30. 
And then, like I said, I get home pretty late from the night training. If I'm hungry, I'll eat later, but I try not to eat so late. Um, so it ends up being, I guess, a little bit of a intermittent fasting window, but um, on my days off when I'm not training or if I'm traveling, I don't worry too much about it. But I typically eat, I guess, within maybe a 10 hour window typically. How do, how do you how do you find your sleep? Do you find you sleep pretty well with this or, or, or is your sleep disrupted or shorter or anything like that? I feel like there haven't been too many changes in my sleep, to be honest. Um, I wake up a little bit earlier now feeling, I guess, more awake quickly. I used to wake up feeling kind of groggy and now when I'm up, I feel ready to go. I, I'm not sure what it is, but like with and without carnivore, I always kind of wake up around 3 a.m. and then I go back to sleep usually. I guess that's probably unrelated to diet, but for the most part I sleep pretty well and I get eight hours of sleep. I can't remember, did you say you 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 were a coffee drinker or not? Yes, I'll have one cup of coffee in the morning, just black. <laughs> I love coffee. I tried cutting it out for a bit, but just I don't know if it's the caffeine, but it's just kind of the aroma and the drinking something warm that's really nice. And I guess tea doesn't do it for me. Hot water doesn't do it for me. So I've kept the coffee. Did you find that uh, there are any sort of transition type symptoms? And then also the other thing about the quality, are you eating, I mean, you're in Canada, so I would imagine much of the meat you have is grass finished, but maybe not. Are you making any special, special efforts to eat, uh, you know, organic grass fed products, or is it just kind of what you, what you get normally? I am, I try and eat as much as I can that's uh, grass fed, grass finished. Um, just like in the States, it's significantly more expensive, but I try and prioritize that because my health is so important to me and the quality of the food I'm putting in. If I'm eating ribeyes that are filled with antibiotics and hormones, then that's, you are what you eat. So it's been pretty important to me to eat food that comes from a good place. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm eating 100% of the food grass-fed, um, but as much as I can, for sure. Have you found any of your either competitors or training partners noticing a difference in your strength levels or performance? Did they be commenting on that? I've had a few people notice that I feel stronger, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I feel like I said in the gym, I'm able to up my weights, up my reps, so... The proof is there for sure. What is, what is your training? I mean, what is your, when you're competing, what is your stress? I mean, what is your go-to? Like, I mean, are you like, are you looking to submit somebody with a, with a, with a, with a, you know, a joint lock or do you try to choke people out or what's been your signature style of winning? I have a few signature submissions. Anytime you can finish a match with a submission rather than winning on points, it feels so much better and it's definitely a more dominant performance. Um, my favorite move is called a Kimura, which is like a shoulder lock. I do that from the top position. And then I also finish a lot of fights with a choke from the back. So you're on your opponent's back and you use the lapel of the, um, kimono to choke them out. And that's one of my favorite moves as well. So you, I mean, you compete in the in the gi. I mean, they have no gi and gi competitions. Do you compete in both, or you or you have a preference for one or the other? I compete in both. I wouldn't say I have a preference. I think maybe in the gi, I prefer a little bit more. Most of the tournaments are in the gi, but I definitely try and do both. Stay well rounded, and um, my training throughout the week is a variety of both. Do you have any desire to maybe go into this mixed martial arts at some point? Is that something that you have an interest in? A lot of people ask me that. And to be honest, I'm just so happy in jujitsu. I don't think I want to go into striking. I would never say never, but I've found a sport that I love so much. I have so much passion for jujitsu. So I'd like to just keep going with that for now. What do you what do you have coming up? You said you have a competition in a couple of weeks. What is what is what is your what are your goals for the next you know six months to a year within jujitsu and, and maybe outside of jujitsu? Yeah. Um within jujitsu, obviously finish the competition season strong. I've got a local tournament in a couple of weeks and then we're ramping up for the world championships. 
I want to just do my best in those tournaments, um, give my best performance. And um, I've started teaching some classes as well. I teach like a women's self-defense program, a teens program, um, and some nogi classes, kids, a really big variety. So I'd like to keep going with that and um, just grow those programs, help my school bring in more students, train as hard as I can, keep going with everything. I don't know, things are on a good path and I just want to keep going in that direction. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a, a bright future in the sport. And uh, I think, uh, you know, it's always interesting to kind of see some of these sports that are a little more tertiary. I'm certainly part of that with ultra marathon running and like a little bit different than what you do when you flip on ESPN. You don't always see some things like jujitsu tournaments and certainly not ultra marathon running. Uh, but it's cool because, I mean, it's, it's something you can really get excited about still. And when, when there's other folks who are curious and interested and want to learn from you, uh, that just makes it even more fulfilling, I think. And it sounds like with your, your teaching, you've got a great setup with that. It's been awesome teaching and sharing my passion with other people for jujitsu. Like you said, um, like jujitsu, marathon running, they're not really mainstream sports, I guess, in North America. So it's been, it's a, it's been tough in jujitsu. There's not as much money in it as in other sports, like I guess hockey or football, for example. But it's definitely growing. Like the UFC is helping make jujitsu more mainstream. And then I mentioned I go over to the United Arab Emirates for some tournaments. And there is one of the sheikhs there is really interested in jujitsu. So he's implemented it in all the high schools. You have to take a term of jujitsu in PE. So it's a really mainstream sport there. They show it on TV. It's pretty cool to see like the tournaments um, that I was doing over there. I'm taking my flight back to Vancouver and I look up in the airport and on TV, they've got the highlights from the jujitsu tournament I was in, which was pretty cool. So things are definitely growing in the right direction. I think it'll take off over the next few years. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Do, do most uh, like professional jujitsu uh, folks like yourself, do you rely on like sponsorships or is there enough prize money at tournaments where you can kind of make a living doing that? Or is it a reality for all these, these folks that kind of have a side, side job just to kind of keep the sport going? Most people um, definitely make their money off teaching or having their own academy. There's not a ton of prize money. Some tournaments do offer prize money. Um, there are some sponsorships, but I wouldn't say they're enough to make a living off of. Um, I've got a few, a lot of places like they want to sponsor you. Like I have um, a company that helps me with my physiotherapy. I've got a company that helps me with my gear um, and some small expenses, but to get on a salary with a sponsor is pretty tough in jujitsu. So a lot of the money is in teaching or having an academy or a side job. Yeah, I mean, it might be interesting, you know, we're trying to, we've had a couple athletes that are, that are now doing carnivores so maybe make some of these beef companies would, would be, would make sense to sponsors. You know, that would be very helpful to have yeah. like a, a butcher sponsor me or something like that. Yeah, that, might, that, <laughs> might be, that might be something doable in the future. I, I think, I think that's going to be coming down the road, quite honestly. Um, do you have any plans? Maybe, I mean, are you happy with your weight class? You're planning on going up to a different weight class. Is that something that ever crossed your mind? I think the one I'm in right now is definitely the right weight class for how I'm naturally built. If I were to go up one, I would be fighting um, women who are just built a little bit bigger than me or differently. But if for some reason sticking with my carnivore diet and weightlifting, I just magically bulked up to be at the top of the next weight class, that's definitely something I would do. I wouldn't try and diet off to stay in this one, but I think for the foreseeable future, this is where I'll be at. Are you, um, I'm just trying to think, because I know jujitsu is like a never ending sport. You're always getting better. You're always learning new techniques. You're, you're advancing through the ranks. Are you, is there something you're working on right now to get better at that, that uh, you know, that, that you have as a goal? In terms of um, like techniques every day, there's little details that my instructor shows me that kind of change everything, not like trick moves, but just little simple details that add on to what I'm already working on. Um, I'm always trying to stay well-rounded with my techniques. So it's kind of never ending the learning. That's the beauty of jujitsu. It's just, you can keep going forever and 
even learning basics from someone who really knows what they're doing. You can learn all these little details that really you're able to implement into your game and improve everything. Does your, uh, does your instructor know you're doing a carnival style night and has he had any comments? I've mentioned it to him, but um, he hasn't really had much to say about it. He just focuses on the jujitsu and stays out of people's personal lives. Um, so I, he knows about it, but he hasn't really discussed it with me very much, to be honest. He's probably just excited for you to show up healthy and, and feeling good on a, on a regular basis. Exactly. Yeah, he likes to see everyone feeling happy and healthy and just doing their best every day, training hard. So if I'm able to do that, that's more than enough. When it comes to women's self-defense, because you touched on that, what, you know, what is the amount of like basic amount of sort of technique or knowledge that, that the average woman would have just to sort of protect herself and use that? you know, as a, as a potential tool, not having to win jujitsu tournaments, but just like, I know there's different belt classifications and stuff like that. Where, where would the average woman need to get to where she could reasonably defend herself from say a, a larger male attacker uh, from a jujitsu standpoint? Um, so that's, I guess, exactly what we focus on in the self-defense classes are real life applicable situations. Um, like it's usually escaping from bad positions if someone's mounted on you or if someone tries to throw a punch or grabs you from behind. Um, and definitely you'd need to keep practicing these moves to keep them fresh in your mind and be able to use them in a real life situation if it were to come up. But I'd say in a matter of a few months, someone could learn the basics and be able to defend themselves, feel more confident um, for sure. Like, like I said, there's a sport side of jujitsu and then obviously a self-defense side as well. Um, and a lot of people who come in off the street who just want to try self-defense, they start to progress into the sport jujitsu side because they just fall in love with the martial art. But um, I also have a lot of students who just want to feel more confident, feel more safe if they're out at night. And um, that draws a lot of people into the sport as well. Are, are most self-defense uh, classes or procedures basically like fundamentals from jujitsu then, or is it, does one kind of feed into the other more or less? There are definitely some fundamental techniques that are in the self-defense, um, I guess, stream of the school, but I wouldn't say that practicing the self-defense type techniques will prepare you for competition at all. It's pretty different. Some of the stuff you do, in jujitsu tournaments, people would say, oh, that would never work in a street fight. Um, that wouldn't be effective. Someone could punch you from here. And that's completely true. But that's sport jujitsu. That's a whole different ballgame. So there's some that crosses over, but some that's completely different. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's really interesting stuff. So, so in short, you can win jujitsu world championships on a meat only diet, which I think is something that a lot of people will be shocked by. Um, and it's good to see people out there testing these boundaries. Cause I, you know, I, I have people saying that there's no athletes that do this. They all eat a bunch of carbs. All the Olympians do that, all, all of this and all that. And I'm saying, no, that's not necessarily true. We're starting to see more and more examples and it's cool to see. I mean, even though you did it for health purposes, it's good to see that you, you know, not only have you get, you've improved your health, but you're also kind of some of the people out there that are proving that, you know, maybe we don't all need to be eating Gatorade and, and pasta loading before we compete to, to compete successfully. And, and that's really, really kind of cool. And, and it's good for you to share your story because I think it'll inspire, inspire a, lot of, a lot of people because there may be people that, um, you know, are having athletic success eating a lot of carbohydrates, but, but they are having health issues that are coming along at the same time because you can still be an athlete and have health issues. Uh, and it's nice to be free to that and having another option, which I think this, this, this presents. So thank you very much, Sarah, for, for sharing that. Thank you for having me on the show and letting me share my story. It's been a pleasure. Sarah, where can folks find you if they want to follow you on social media or do you have a website or anything like that? I have a website. It is www.sarahthackery.com and I've got um, my blog on there as well as um, just my basic info about my jujitsu. And then I'm on Instagram at sarah.thackery as well. And then I'm, I've been blogging a little bit about my carnivore journey, my diets, um, 
the next one is going to be like a Q&A. A lot of people have asked me questions about um, my diet and supplements and training. So I'll address all of that, I guess, within a week or so. Awesome. Well, I'm sure our listeners will be curious to see kind of some of your procedures and what you have over on the blog and, and follow you on Instagram. So I'll be sure to link those into the show notes for any listener who wants to go check out what Sarah's up to. They will be there. Thank you so much. Hey folks, Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.